Well, good morning. I'm thankful that you're here today. You know, our family, uh, we love road trips. So we call them the Griswold road trips. That's what we call them in our house. And it's not uncommon for us to uh, load up in the car and, and just take off. And we've, we've gone to some great places. And, and, and each trip is always uh, filled with, you got pillows, you have, you have the games, you have uh, blankets, and then you have those those unclaimed smells that go through your car. I don't know if that happens at your car, but, um, but uh, those, are, those are always fun. But uh, on our, in our, one of our habits in our family vacations is we, we like stories. And so it's not uncommon for us to grab, like, uh, whether it's the Chronicles of Narnia or some John Grisham book or, or something. We, we, we love stories. Well, several years ago, um, we were headed out on a on a trip, and and so I, I rigged up the car thanks to Steve Jobs and uh, uh, his gift of technology that he's given us. I, I, we were able to, uh, to to watch a movie in the car, and 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 I was really kind of on a kick. I wanted my kids to know about the Greatest Generation. Uh, the, I, I wanted them to understand the story of World War II. So I I, I bought the movie Saving Private Ryan. And I said, kids, we're going to watch this movie on the way. And so after the movie, it was like, Dad, are you kidding me? Why did you do that to us? I mean, it's such a heavy movie. It, it really is. And, uh, but it's a great movie. And we had afterwards, after the moans and the uh, accusations of child abuse that I made them watch that movie, um, we really had a great discussion about just um, those people that sacrificed for our country. And, and it, was, it was great. It was a great discussion. And, 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 you know, as I think back about just stories and the power of stories, stories are, are impactful. Stories shape the world. And, and, and it's a little bit sad to me that, that probably most of our knowledge of World War II comes from, not from history books probably or, or from some great teacher, but from Tom Hanks. I mean, Tom probably gave us, most of us, our view of history. And, and, and though that movie was, um, was, was not accurate history, it was historically accurate. There, there were some accurate things about that history. But, but, but here's the tendency that we have when we encounter stories, even stories that we know about. We tend to have this idea, well, I know that story. I know the point of that story. Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles in Luke chapter 10, is where we're going to be. And, and it's a famous story. This is one of those stories of Jesus that, that, that most of you know, you've, you've heard of. He, even people that don't know God or don't even know the Bible, when you say this story, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that story. This, this story is a compliment. If you say to somebody, oh, you're a good Samaritan, I mean, I would argue there are very few people in our culture that wouldn't understand, oh, well, I know what that means. But, but let's be careful today that we don't just slip into the old way of, oh, yeah, I know that story. Okay, our pastor's preaching on the Good Samaritan. I know that. Because most of the time when we hear that story, we automatically relate ourselves to, yeah, yeah, we're, we're the Good Samaritan. But there's some other characters in this story that, that, the, the reality is we, we probably tend to be more like them than the other guys, than the Good Samaritan. And so, so I want us to come and approach this story and, and, and recognize the, um, that God is at work in our lives. God is speaking to us today. 
So, so let's turn our face to him. Let's allow his Holy Spirit to move us today. Because every time we come to the Word of God, we need to say, Lord, what do you have for me today? How are you leading me? And, and, and you know, in this series, in the parables, we started it last week, and, and I do want to remind you of what a parable means. A parable literally means, in the oh, I've always heard it as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, the Greek term of parable actually means to, to cast alongside. And what you see in the parables is Jesus saying, I want you to understand the kingdom of God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cast alongside this, this story that can, you can relate to that will explain what the kingdom of God is like. And, and, and it's very important because I think that, especially with this story, because I think we often miss the main point of this story. So now the parables, uh, you know, one of the things we do with our series, and, and I, I want to keep pushing us. I want this in front of us because I think this is a powerful um, discipline that we need to learn as a church, as, as believers, as we walk with the Lord. We need to learn the discipline of memorizing God's Word. And so with each series, we're pushing one another to memorize a passage of Scripture. Now with this passage, uh, and, and I know I told you to go to Luke 10, but I want you to flip back over real quick to Luke 8, 9 through 11. I want you to see this, because this is the verse, the, the two verses I want you to memorize and I want to challenge us to memorize over the next, really, until November, because we're going to be studying this all the way up until Christmas time. Uh, the parables, the different parables of, of Jesus. And, and, the, and, the, and the verse I want you to memorize is, is Luke chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, which says, And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now this is one of those verses we wouldn't normally memorize because it causes us to go, what? What is Jesus saying? That, that the, I thought the parables were meant to explain it, but, but there are some that when they hear these parables, they just get foggy and they don't understand. And, and, the, and I think the point of that, Isaiah, um, Jesus is referring to Isaiah chapter 6 right here. And, and, the, and the reality is, is when, when we are bent on disobedience, when we are bent on going our own way, we are going to be blind to the truth. I mean, we just sang this song, like that the Joe sang this little tagline in a song, and I hope you caught it, that, that I'm, I, I'm, I'm living in the light. You know, because, because the Bible causes us, when we approach God's Word appropriately, it moves us into the light. And what does light do? It exposes us. It exposes the things that we sometimes try to hide. And, and what Jesus is doing with the, the, the parables is he's exposing his truths to us, his secrets to us. And, and, and it's such a powerful passage. Now, now the, 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 the story of the Good Samaritan is, true, is really a dramatic story. It's really interesting and, and I want us to look at it. So we've already, Casey already read the text for us, so we're not going to stand, but I want you to look at verse 25 in Luke chapter 10. Look at this. Jesus, this is going on in his life, Luke. He's, he's in his ministry, and it's interesting as you look at, at Jesus' ministry, his stories are impacting the world. As Jesus was walking the earth, people were like, who, man, who are you? You, you are different than other people. 
I mean, we, we sometimes lose the, the vision of really who Jesus is and how he taught because we picture him like maybe the, the old Jesus film pick, pick, depicted him where he, he's walking like he never moves his arms, you know, you know, and he's just like walking around like in a trance. But, but Jesus was, I believe, was very interactive, very, I think he smiled, you know. I had, this, I had this picture for a while of Jesus smiling. I mean, most of the pictures that you see, he's not smiling, he's really serious. And, and I think Jesus smiled, I think he was intriguing. And, and, and these teachers that would come and hear him, they were, they were like, wow, who are you? Because you, you teach like one with authority, not like uh, these other guys. And, and he told these stories that were very interesting. Very, and this was a really interesting story. You see in, in verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So, so this lawyer, you got to understand about this lawyer, he's, he's, he's likely a lawyer in the, in the Jewish law. He's an expert in the Jewish law. So this guy was, uh, was one that would settle matters of the Torah. Okay, so, so he was learned. He was well-respected. He, he was smart. And what is he doing? He's, he's coming to test Jesus. Now, a lot of times we're like this guy. We come to Jesus to test him. I want to see if you're really for real. And, and, and so this guy is, a, is really not seeking answers necessarily. He's coming to try to stump Jesus. I just want you to know, you'll never do that. You'll never be able to stump God. Because and, and what's, what was so fascinating about Jesus is these people that would come up to him, he would speak to the motives of their heart. Wouldn't that flip you out? I mean, if, if you walked up to somebody and said, and you really are thinking some, one way and you're trying to be manipulative, and then you say something and they just say what's in your heart, you'd be like, oh, how'd you just read my mail? And, and what Jesus does is he reads his mail. But you've got to understand, and here's the big point. Point number one is the main point of this parable that, 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 that we just cannot miss with this story. Because, yes, it is about loving people and serving people and all this stuff. But the big point of this parable is point number one. And if you miss this point, you miss the whole point of the parable. From the beginning, point number one, from the beginning, salvation by works was an impossible pursuit. That's point number one. You know, from the very beginning of time, people have thought that I can earn my way to heaven. And, and you've got to pay attention, and you'll see this through the parables. One of the messages you see recurring all through Scripture is that you cannot earn your way to heaven. And this is something I pray you get. And then the truth is, from the beginning of time, people have... I mean, come to realize that there is a creator. Most of us, you don't have to think too hard as you look up in the sky and you look at the world that we live in. There is a creator. This world did not happen by accident. And then all through history, mankind has been in pursuit of, man, I can be good enough. I can do enough good things to earn my way to heaven. And Jesus is getting this question by this lawyer. And he's basically like, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's what you know about Jesus, that God is always able to separate genuine seekers from hypocritical doubters. And this guy is a hypocritical doubter. 
And it's my prayer that, that, that we come to God as genuine seekers. And it's funny to me, it's interesting to me in my own life, how I have at times, and there sometimes I still think about this, I think, oh God, maybe I can fool you. Maybe I can, I can just mask my, my own, what really where I am. We are never able to fool God. And it's my prayer that every time we come together, every time we, every day in our lives, we, we don't actually buy into that lie that, God, I can fool you. Because God sees our hearts. He sees you. He knows where you are today. And, and let's know that. Let's realize that. And, and, and it's interesting when you look at Jesus' tactic here, because, because rather than just answering the question, he asked a, a question of his own. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it, Jesus said to him. Now, what Jesus is referring to is he's pushing him to the Shema, which is De Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Where, and that's that famous passage where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And this lawyer, like a, a, a devout Jewish man, would have the Shema on his head. I mean, he's probably wearing it right, at that moment. And Jesus said, oh, you, you know, uh, uh, you know what, what, what does the Shema say? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So, it's, so the lawyer just like, oh, I know this. Look, it's right here, Jesus. You just love to do this. And he said to him, Jesus said, verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Now, this was a perfect summary because if you look at the Ten Commandments, you can divide the Ten Commandments in these two sections. Commandments 1 through 4 talk about how you love God, how you love God appropriately. Commandments 5 through 10 talk about how you love your neighbor. So uh, this guy was like, okay, Jesus, I, I, I know this. And now it's interesting because when you, Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. And it's easy to think, well, Okay, is Jesus saying he has to do these things and then he'll somehow earn his way to heaven? Isn't this in contradiction to the gospel that you can earn your way? At first reading, it seems like, oh, well, maybe Jesus is being inconsistent here. But, but what Jesus is doing here is he's revealing the hard heart of this lawyer. And that's why we can't miss the main message of this parable. This lawyer's coming uh, to, to really ask the question about eternal life. And, and the lesson of the Good Samaritan, the, the main point of the Good Samaritan is not just a challenge to help people who are in need. The main point of Jesus coming to earth is not just to show kindness to people. That's not the main point. This, this story, this parable illustrates that it is impossible to keep the law of God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came because it is impossible to keep God's law. And, and, and you know what? Like we believe Isaiah 64, 6, right? That verse? You know what it says? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. The Bible says that our righteous deeds, now, now this is Isaiah, not me. I'm not 
being crude. I'm not being crude. Isaiah is being crude. When he says that our righteous acts are like menstrual cloths. Now, now that's a tough thing to recognize. That's what Isaiah says. And see, this lawyer is coming saying, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? Verse 29, look at this. But he desiring to justify himself. We always do that, don't we? We want to justify ourselves. We want to look at ourselves and go, look, I'm not that bad. I'm doing good. I'm I'm good here. And, And he's trying to justify himself. And he says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And see, you see in this parable that, that Jesus is pointing out that salvation is a transformation of the heart. It's not something you can produce on your own. That's what salvation is. Salvation is something that is given to us. It's a transformation that comes to us. As true followers of Christ, and we see this, that, that, and, and we've, I've said this many times, that we work from our salvation, not for our salvation. And see, Jesus is describing what happens when a person truly comes to know a Savior. And and so then he tells the story. Jesus replied, verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay, so this is a a story that people of Jesus' day would, would have understood. They would have known about Jericho, that road to Jericho. It was a dangerous road. It was about uh, a 4,000-foot drop in elevation. It was 17 miles long. And, and along the road, it was windy, and there were, there were caves, and there were different rocks that people would hide behind. And so it was dangerous. There were robbers that were constantly on that road stealing from people. And, and, and so this was something that the listeners would say, well, that's predictable. That's a dangerous road. And, and so now, verse 31, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Now, on the surface, you would see this as, well, that's good. This guy is on the side of the road. He's been beaten. And a priest comes by. This, this preacher, I mean, likely, uh, if they were going on that road, they were coming back from the temple. So the priest would have, uh, would have you know, been worshiping God and serving. And so you would think, oh, the preacher comes by. Oh, I'm so glad because I'm in a point of need. I mean, I, I get this a lot of times. I mean, sometimes when I walk into a room, people are going, oh, crud, the preacher's here. And, but, but sometimes when I walk into a room, they're like, oh, I'm so glad you came. I need your help. And see, here's where we are here. The, you would think that the preacher comes by. Now, this, leave, this, this, this lawyer, at this time in the culture, the the, the, the preacher, the priest, were kind of, some of them were kind of frustrated with the priesthood. It's a little bit like what we are today. So some of the, the priests were kind of having a reputation of, a, you're kind of selfish, and, and, and it, it's kind of, like, uh, kind of like where we are now. But, but uh, so culturally, there were some struggles with the priest. But you would think that, that the priest would have, been a, would have been a helper. And, but look what, what the priest does. Jesus says, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, so he saw him and thought, whew, uh, let me go over here. 
Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen somebody in need and you're like, I didn't see that. I, I didn't see it. I'm just going to go over here. And, and that's exactly what, what he did. I mean, I don't know what, uh, I mean, Jesus is telling the story, but, but it's an interesting depiction. So likewise, verse 32, a Levite, now a Levite was, uh, you know, from the uh, tribe of Levi. They were, they were helpers in the temple. This guy, a Levite, would have been under a priest, but, but still a good guy, still part of, the, of God's people. And a, and a Levite, still a good person that you would think would help. And when the Levite came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, now if we're thinking, if we're honest, if you were on this road and you knew about the road to Jericho, you would rationalize yourself and think, hey, it kind of makes sense. I mean, that could be a good strategy that, that a robber could say, hey, we're going to beat up this guy, and then when somebody stops to help, we'll jump them. And man, we're going to, boy, this could, you could have seen that and rationalized that, hey, I better not stop because that might be dangerous. And so you can, you can almost relate to these two guys as they think maybe, hey, you know, I'm busy. I, I got, I'm going somewhere. And, I mean, most of us, when we're cruising around, we're going somewhere. So it's hard when we're interrupted or someone gets in our way and we're like, oh, we got to inconvenience ourselves. And but let's think about this idea of, you know, what does God tell us to do to bear one another's burden, Right? So if, if, if we're going to bear one another's burden, that means, uh, Tim Keller said this, he goes, if you're going to bear one another's burdens, it's like if you're carrying 100 pounds and I'm going to bear someone's burden, I'm going to take 50 pounds off of them, so I'm going to now have 50 more pounds. So I should feel a burden. But sometimes we have an attitude of, well, if I don't want to help them because it will burden me. And the reality is these when Jesus transforms your heart, it moves us to take a burden on ourselves. But these guys, they pass on the other side. Now, the lawyer is probably hearing this going, okay. And probably his expectation is, okay, now you're going to say this good Jew comes around and helps out. But then Jesus just I mean, jaw-dropping moment. It's hard for us to relate to this. When we think Samaritan, oh, and Jesus chose a Samaritan. What does he say? Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, this lawyer would be like, oh, what? This would, the, the best thing I can come up with that, that, that we would, um, we could relate to, maybe, is, remember that, uh, the guy, the ISIS fighter that chopped off the head of that soldier, that person that we saw on television. Um, man, that guy's not a popular person in our country. It would be like that guy. That ISIS fighter comes and is going, I mean, I mean, that's something that we go, ooh, that guy's not good. That, I mean, that, that's what a Samaritan was. A Samaritan in, in a Jew, uh, remember that, that they, they would avoid Samaria. They would walk out of their way to avoid even walking into Samaria. Often Jews would pray, Lord, bless our family, bless our lives, bless our work. May we follow you, and may there never be a Samaritan enter your kingdom. They hated them. 
And this, that, 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 we've got to understand that. Culturally, this was a crazy twist in the story when Jesus says, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, uh, and then Jesus goes on, verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he sat him on his own animal. So it's interesting that, that obviously this Samaritan had some means because the other two are walking. This guy's got an animal with him. And so what does he do? He, he not only doesn't go out of his way to avoid the guy, he does the work of getting off his animal and, and jumping down, putting himself likely in danger if another robber was going to, if it was going to be a trap. And, but he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So you see the Samaritan, he takes care of him. And, and the next day, he took, took out two denarii. This is like 29 days of, of salary or of, of, of care. He pulls it out of his own pocket, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now this lawyer's looking at him going, what? Wait, wait a minute. This is not how I thought it would go. And, and then Jesus asked him, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be his neighbor? To the man who fell among the robbers? And, and look at this. You can almost feel the hatred of Samaritans in this guy's statement. Because he couldn't even say, the Samaritan showed him mercy. What does he say? The one who showed him mercy. That's the one. The, I guess the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You know what I believe that guy left thinking? That is impossible. That is ridiculous. There's no way that a good Jew or a faithful Jew would, would have a Samaritan in the story. Oh, that's awful. And, and I don't know the end of this lawyer's story. I don't know what he, we don't really know. It just says a certain lawyer came to question Jesus. We don't, we don't know if this guy later came to see Jesus and who he was. I don't know. But, but, but I guarantee you, this guy left and said, that is impossible. And I think Jesus is saying the story of the Good Samaritan is, you're exactly right. That's impossible. Because you cannot earn your way to heaven. And you know, you, we've got to hear that. Because there are so many people that believe that. And I don't want you to come to this church thinking, I gave money to the church. No, I don't give money to church to um, earn favor of God. I don't give out of, oh God, I'm going to give this to you so you'll be happy with me. I give, we tithe. We tithe online every, every, every paycheck we get. And... Um, and in our family, we start at 10%. That's what we do. We, it's a challenge. One of our prayers is that we as a church mature financially. Because we're not. We're not very mature financially. Now, there are pastors that would give their right arm to pastor a church that where we are financially. We are in a great spot financially. 
but we're still not mature financially because very few people in our church actually tithe. And this isn't a tithing message. I'm just, this little rant. Um, but the reality is, I don't tithe to gain God's favor. I tithe out of gratitude of all that God's already given me. He's already given me what, what I have. And I'm like, oh, I want to bless you and thank you for what you've already given me. Not what you're going to give me. Most people tithe, oh, look what he's going to give you. <laughs> oh, my goodness, that's, we're missing it. We, we give because he's already given to us. And, and I don't want you to miss that. And, but this man is like, it's impossible to do this. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Now, the main point of this story is you can't earn your way to heaven. But, but I think there's another truth in this story. That, that when you come to know Christ as your Savior, there is a radical transformation of your life. And, and, and has that happened to you? You see, when, when you come to know Christ as Savior, you recognize point number two, that Jesus has called us to radically love all people. Now, now, as a Christian, there, there's a reason all through history, when you trace the history of hospitals, for example, why are hospitals, uh, there, why are there genesis of hospitals, Baptist hospital, Presbyterian hospital, Catholic hospitals? Why is that? Because a long time ago, when, when like, uh, you can even, it's interesting, with the bubonic plague in the history of Europe, I mean, people were getting out of Dodge, when the bubonic plague was happening. But Christians, what did they do? They went in to where all the sick people were. Why? Because Jesus transformed their lives. And they're moved to help. And this is what it looks like when you follow Jesus. And, and what Jesus is doing is, is kind of pointing to what it looks like when you are uh, transformed by Christ. And, and this is why I pray that, that, that we're a people who pay attention to the people around us. I want to challenge you, pay attention to the people around you. And I pray we see people. We see people like Jesus sees people. I mean, I, I, I pray this often. I pray, Lord, I will see people like you see them. When we were in California on our vacation, and, and, and we're in a place where nobody knows us. Nobody knew us. And, and, and I just was like, Lord, who are the spiritual influencers in all these people's lives? I pray that we would see what Jesus sees. And, and we got to pay attention to, the peop to people. You know what else you see about this Good Samaritan? It's interesting. Uh, he, he prepared in advance to help this other guy. He was already prepared. You know what I pray we do? We prepare in advance to help, help others. And then this is why I believe we should be financially mature. Because God wants us to prepare in advance to be a blessing people. That's, that's God's plan for his people. To go and live in such a way that a lost world goes, wow, you have a God who is real, who is with you. And, and I believe we are called to prepare in advance for people. This is why we're doing Financial Peace University this fall. You, and, and, and some of you, I pray you take it and you, and you work to get out of debt because your debt is killing you. Your debt is hindering you from being able to bless others. And I pray that this is why I'm motivated to be a church that stays out of debt 
because that puts us in a position to bless people. And let me tell you, it's harder. It's harder to do that. It's harder to wait to do a renovation until, you're, until you have the money to do it. It's harder to build the building like we did at the mission until we had the money to do it. And I see the wrestling match of, wow, do you, do you, play, do you pay inflation or do you pay interest? Well, I don't know. We're going to pay inflation. And, and I pray that we are a church that is responsible. We prepare in advance to bless people. That's the kind of church we should be. And then you see in this parable that the, the you quickly and, and completely respond to the needs that you see. And this is the kind of church I pray we are. Now, point three, and we gotta, I'm going to go through this fast. Point three. When you look at this parable, you see that knowing Christ produces radical neighboring. You know what I love about being in this city, being planted right here? And it's, it's fun to go on a vacation and to, and to be at a place and, and to have that feeling, that call in my heart that I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to, to come here because when I drive around here, I'm like, man, I, I, I hurt for the people here in this place, in Tulsa, in Collinsville, in, in Sperry, in Ulaga, in, in Catoosa, and all over this place. I hurt. And, and it moves us when we follow Jesus, knowing Christ produces this radical neighboring. And you know what I pray, I'm praying for our church? I'm praying that we are a church that, that we get rid of racism. I think there's some, this is a prayer I have for our church. We're awfully white here. And, and I am praying that next year that we are able to start an Hispanic service in the life of our church. I've been praying that since I got here. And next year, I'm praying that we pull the trigger on that. And I wonder, Lord, are we going to hold a grudge against people that come into our congregation that don't speak English? Why is it that we're awfully white here? Why do people that look different than us feel weird when they walk in our door? Why? We should probably confront that. You know, when you follow Jesus, it produces radical neighboring. We build a refuge reputation. You know what I pray that we have as a church? We're a refu we have a refuge reputation. Now, we have to be careful. Because we might go, hey, we had the mission. We built that. Yeah, we did. And we should. But are we asking this question? Are we looking at those that come to the mission as someone that just comes and we feel good because we help them? Or are we saying, come into our lives? When we see the homeless folks that are at our church, hear this, at our church on the Calvary campus, are we walking by them? Are we going to say, here, here, just here's some money. Here you go. 
Or are we saying, hey, let us come into us. Come be part of us. You know, what, what does it look like when you're radically neighboring? You, you serve without any expectation of anything in return. How often do we, this is, I feel this. I'm not talking at you, believe me, okay? I'm sitting with you. It would just look weird if I sat down there and talked because you know, it would just be weird. But just know I'm sitting with you. And I, and I read this story and I hear the story of Jesus and I ask myself, do, Lord, am I serving with the hope that I get something? Or am I just serving because you've served me? And, and what does it do? What does radical neighboring look like? There's a lot to process here. And, but we joyfully sacrifice emotion, time, and resources to be a blessing. Now, as we look at this parable, we, we can't forget that we were like, not like the Good Samaritan, but like the guy on the side of the road. If you're a Christian, that's who you are in this story. The guy that was beat up by sin and broken and no one's looking, no one's stopping to help. And then Jesus came. Jesus came and he rescued me. He rescued you. And because of that, it moves us to this radical life, this radical movement of obedience. And, and I, I just can't confront this story without asking myself, Lord, do the people that see us know we are Christians by our love? Would you allow the Lord to speak to you today?